Welcome to the Benzo Free Podcast, your home for an honest, straightforward, and personal discussion about anti-anxiety drugs, their effects, and how to deal with dependence and withdrawal. Whether you have taken benzodiazepines, Z drugs, or any other tranquilizers, know someone who has, or you just want help dealing with chronic anxiety and insomnia, this is your podcast. I'm your host, D.E. Foster, author of the book, Benzo Free, The World of Anti-Anxiety Drugs and the Reality of Withdrawal. I'm so glad you joined us today. Please stick around and let me bend your ear for a few minutes. It just might feel a little better on the other side. Hello there, this is Dee, and welcome to episode 20 of the Benzo Free Podcast. I am so glad you joined us today. I really am, especially for those of you who have been dedicated to be with me for all 20 episodes. That is amazing, and I hope this has been of, you know, some help to you in your life. If it has, it's been worth it. How is this sounding? How's my voice sounding right now? I hope it sounds better than it has. I, You see, here's the thing. I finally broke down and bought a decent podcast microphone. No, I can't really afford it, but I'll figure that part out later. I've been spending so much time in post-production fixing some audio problems that I couldn't delay any longer. Today is the first episode to use it, and I was just chomping at the bit to try it out. I hope it provides a better listening experience to you. And I'm sure it's going to save me a lot of time in post. Now, for today's intro, I'm going to take a little extra time, and I apologize in advance for that. Bear with me, and, and maybe it'll be of interest where I take this. You see, over the past two weeks, I've received the same question from a few people. On the podcast two weeks ago, I shared something about clinging to happy moments in the intro, and finding a happy place. Well, I got some comments on that, and the comments asked what my happy place was. I guess I should have seen that coming. (laughs) Oh well, after today's intro, won't they be sorry they asked this question? (laughs) Now, my first response, and I'll admit my more public response to this question, if somebody asked it to me, would have to be something like this. Relaxing in a hot tub at a ski resort, you know, after a long day of skiing near a blazing fire pit with light snow falling all around with my wife, good friends, a cold beer or or perhaps a margarita in my hand, and, and just before going out to a wonderful dinner. Now that's my happy place, especially when I'm seeking something calm and relaxing. At least that's what I tell people most of the time. But here's where I run into an honesty issue. I promised honesty on this podcast, warts and all, and I want to live up to that promise. You see, when I truly want to be happy and think of a place which works almost every time to raise my spirits, there's someplace else. I don't tell this to most people when I just meet them, but I'm going to share it with you today. And then ramble on for God knows how long to try and rationalize it, to make it relevant to benzodependence and withdrawal somehow. I I won't succeed, trust me, (laughs) but I will try and I will convince myself in the end that I did succeed, even though you will know better. 
Okay, back to the question. See, I'm already wandering off. My happy place is... Wait for it. You know, don't you just hate suspense? Like like on a whodunit on TV, which cut to commercials just before you... Well, you see my point. Sorry. <laughs> just having a little fun there. Here it goes. I am a diehard, semi-obsessive Disney Park junkie. Disney World, Disneyland, all Disney parks. Actually, I love theme parks. Universal, Busch Gardens, my childhood favorite, Silver Dollar City. But the truth is, few come close to Disney in my book. Now, this is not something, like I said, I usually share in mixed company. In fact, I've been reluctant to share this passion of mine with you for a while now. You see... It's a bit embarrassing for me. I'm a grown man in his 50s without kids of my own, and this interest <laughs> seems a bit, well, unnatural to some. The truth is, I really love to travel. It's one of my passions, and, and one of the biggest losses from this nightmare of withdrawal. I'm still limited, but I hope that is slowly changing. I want to travel the world, and I'm going to do that. I am. But in reality... We are more about what we do than what we plan to do or talk about. <laughs> and where do most of my trips usually wind up? Yeah, at good old Disney World and Disneyland. <laughs> it's okay, you can say it now. I'm obsessed and I need help. I'm sure there's some 12-step program for this. There's got to be one. But honestly, I don't need to apologize for this. In fact... This is something my experience with Benzos has taught me. This is me, and for some reason, I love these parks. I love to visit them. I love to plan trips to them. Perhaps it's a bit childish. So what? Thoughts of this eternal happy place of mine have actually helped me heal. Even on my darkest days, I had a place I could visit in my mind which made me smile. One of the benefits of Benzo withdrawal is that we often become more introspective. While we are healing, we have little choice but to analyze our lives. We try to understand why we are the way we are. We, we try to make some changes. We try to remove the bad and enhance the good in our personalities and in our lives. It's a time for reflection and a time for growth. Well, I was introspective as hell during my withdrawal. I analyzed everything. Why I'm such a people pleaser and so incredibly afraid of conflict. Why I love cold weather and hate hot. Or why I loathe a loud nightclub where you're crammed in like sardines and can't hear anyone talk. That, that is, unless, of course, I'm behind my drum set, then I love the same scene. <laughs> and when I was diving deep into my crazy psyche, the question I asked myself most often was, why I have this damn anxiety. Where did it come from? What caused it? Was it genetic, environmental, both? In the process of analyzing myself, one of the minor quirks that I examined was this affinity I have for Disney parks. To me, it's more of a symptom, and perhaps the symptom might reveal a secret. So I looked over and over again. There was no easy answer. I mean, I gotta admit, honestly, it's so many things I hate. It's hot, very expensive, extremely crowded, full of blatant commercialism, with little natural, well, anything. 
half the time you're there waiting in line or having your shins banged by a stroller. (laughs) I don't know why I do this. Perhaps more than anything else, it's the escape. And that's where this all ties back to my experience with benzodiazepines. For those of us with chronic anxiety, whether caused by genetics, trauma, or like so many of us, a medication, traveling to that happy place, even in our minds, might be the only time in our entire lives where we can escape the anxiety. Anxiety never lets us go, especially in benzo withdrawal. This grand inquisitor is eternally relentless and unforgiving. We can beg and beg and beg for sympathy, but there is no escape from its wrath. But for me, when I'm at a Disney park, I get to escape. No text is going to come through. No news is going to disrupt things. Nobody's going to say you forgot to do something. The anxiety is gone. Poof. Like magic. It's no long-term cure by any means, but for the briefest of moments, it's an escape. Don't we all need that? Some place where we can go to not only escape the troubles of the world around you, but the troubles in your own body and in your own mind. Don't we all need that kind of place? For those select few out there who might be a closet Disney Parks junkie like me, please send me a note. I want to hear from you, if nothing else, to feel a little less alone in my obsession. But even more so, if you're more like my wife and would be fine if you never stepped foot in a Disney park, let me know what your happy place is. Where can you escape the crazy of the world and of your mind if even only for a few minutes? Is it the beach in the Caribbean or perhaps Mediterranean? Is it driving an expensive sports car in Monte Carlo or deep sea fishing or gabbing with good friends over a bottle of wine? Is it at home by the fire watching a movie or reading a book or, you know, perhaps seeing the excitement in your daughter's eyes as she gets ready for prom? I want to thank you for joining me on this mini journey into my own neurosis. I hope it wasn't an all too unpleasant journey. Let's, let's get back to the podcast, okay? Our format today will include the introduction, mailbag, Benzo News, Benzo Story, and our feature. And we'll skip our spotlight again this week, but it will be coming back. Our feature today is the head and neck symptoms of benzo withdrawal. This is part of our ongoing 14-part series on the symptoms of withdrawal. Today we'll be talking about balance issues, dizziness, lightheadedness, headache, neck pain, slurred speech, and throat tightening. And I need feedback, questions, comments, stories, suggestions, corrections, uh, what color of lint you most often find in your navel. Whatever you have, send it in to us. This is your podcast. And the more content I can share from you, the more Benzo Free becomes the community it was designed to be. So please, tell me what you think. Visit our feedback form at benzofree.org slash feedback or email me at podcast at benzofree.org. And don't forget to sign up for our mailing list at benzofree.org slash subscribe. And please remember that the Benzofree podcast is for informational purposes only and should never be considered medical advice. If you're listening to this podcast on one of our carriers, please leave feedback on that provider. This helps new listeners find us. And now let's move on to our mailbag. Today we just have one question. It comes from an anonymous listener in Ireland. This listener asks, What's the difference? Z-drugs? Benzos? Sedatives? Which is alprazolam? 
Well, first I want to say thanks for the question. There's a little bit of terminology mismatch here, but I think I can clarify it quite quickly. First off, benzos is a common term usually used to describe two distinct classes of anti-anxiety drugs, benzodiazepines and non-benzodiazepines or Z-drugs. Some, like benzofree, also include theanodiazepines in the benzo group. But for simplicity's sakes, let's stick with the first two for now. Benzodiazepines are a class of drugs first released in the 1960s and include various brand names such as Librium, Valium, Clonopin, Ativan, and Xanax, which goes by the generic name Alprazolam, as was in the question. Benzodiazepines are used to treat panic attacks, anxiety, insomnia, muscle spasms, and seizures. They can be quite effective, but dependence is a serious concern and withdrawal can be extremely difficult. Then again, most of you already knew that. Non-benzodiazepines, or Z-drugs, are often prescribed as an alternative to benzodiazepines, especially for insomnia and other sleeping disorders. The nickname Z-drug came from the name of the drugs themselves, Zolpidem, Zopoclom, and Zeloplon. Non-benzodiazepines were released in the 1980s, and although they have an entirely different chemical structure than benzodiazepines, they have very similar effects and side effects. This includes tolerance and the potential for complications in withdrawal. Some of the brand names of Z-drugs are quite well known, like Lunesta, Sonata, and Ambien. Now, benzodiazepines and Z-drugs, aka benzos, are also known by other terms such as anti-anxiety drugs, minor tranquilizers, and sedatives. If you want to know more about the different classes of anti-anxiety drugs, please visit the info section on our website. On our Basics of Benzos page, we provide a brief overview of each class of drugs, and on the Types of Benzos page, we list out most drugs in each class, including generic name, common brand names, onset, half-life, and potency for each one. I put a link to these two pages in our show notes. I hope that clarifies this topic for you. And that closes our mailbag for today. Let's move on to the Benzo News. Here are the highlights from last week, the week of May 19th, 2019. On Sunday, the National Institute of Mental Health in the U.S. posted a request to save the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline number in your phone, because you never know when you or someone you know might need it. This number within the U.S. is 800-273-8255. Now, many of you do not reside in the U.S., and for the rest of you, we have posted a list of international numbers, organizations, and websites on BenzoFree. Go to benzofree.org slash resources slash suicide to view this list. On Monday, Pharmacy Times posted an article titled, Study Examines Benzodiazepines with Antipsychotics for Aggression. The study found that prescribing benzodiazepines to patients already on antipsychotics does not reduce aggression, as previously thought. On Tuesday, Silence Daily released a study from the California Institute of Technology titled, Anxious People Quicker to Flee Danger. This study found that individuals with anxiety escape non-imminent threats of danger sooner than others. On Wednesday, we released episode 19 of the Benzo-Free podcast titled, Relationships, Intimacy, and Sex in Benzo Withdrawal. We examined the effects of benzos on intimacy and uncovered some tips for maintaining a healthy relationship during this trying time. On Friday, WBAD posted an article titled, A Rockin' Creative Outlet That's Raising Benzodiazepine Awareness. 
This article shined a light on WBAD Rocks and its initiative to use rocks and a bit of artistry to help raise awareness of benzos. Also on Friday, the Journal of Clinical Psychiatry published a study titled Prevalence and Predictors of Benzodiazepine Monotherapy in Patients with Depression, a National Cross-Sectional Study. This study found that 1 in 10 depression patients receive benzos as the sole treatment, also known as monotherapy, despite guidelines discouraging this type of treatment. And finally, on Saturday, I reposted a 2015 tweet from Dr. Alan Francis after WBAD had posted it on their Facebook page, where he stated, Benzos should be banned. I reposted the statement to open a dialogue on our Facebook page. This is a far more complicated issue than appears on the surface, and a good one to discuss. You can see all these posts on our Facebook page at facebook.com benzofree. And please, if you know of any other great articles or news that you would like us to cover, tell us, and from anywhere in the world. We are always looking for news about anxiety, insomnia, benzos, dependence, and recovery. And that's it for the news. Let's move on to our benzo story. Today I have a story from Max in my home state of Colorado. His story is one of extreme dosages, including street use and a detox center. But in the end, it's a story of success. Many of you have asked for success stories. Well, here you go. Max says, So I started taking one milligram of Xanax prescribed to me when I was 21 for anxiety and panic attacks. Throughout the years, I slowly progressed to higher and higher doses as I would gain a tolerance and require higher amounts to relieve anxiety symptoms. I think around when I was 28, my doctor said he wouldn't go any higher on the prescription. It was at 8 milligrams at that point. When the 8 milligrams wasn't enough for me, I eventually started buying pills on the street. Eventually, I moved on to the dark web. This pretty much allowed me to take however much I wanted, whenever I wanted. This is a very brief summary of the nine years I spent on benzos, and to keep it brief, by the time I was 30, I was taking anywhere from 20 to 30 milligrams of a Xanax clonopin mixture per day. I don't know how I was able to make the best decision of my life, considering I wasn't making any good decisions at that point, but I did. After getting fired from my last job and immediately going and spending every dime I had in Vegas, I came home and realized something had to be done to change my life. I asked my doctors how I could get off the drug, and he told me that we could do a slow taper, but it would be incredibly hard with the dosage that I was on, as it would take a very long time to get me to zero, and most people aren't able to go through tapering for that long. He didn't even know that I was taking more than three times what he was prescribing me. So, feeling very discouraged but still needing to find a solution, I googled detox centers near me. When I went in, they told me they don't get a whole lot of benzodiazepine coming through, but they had occasionally dealt with some. For minute one, there was no slow taper. The dose that I had taken prior to coming in would be the last that I would ever take. I went in on a Monday and the first few days were easy. I felt fine. I was actually kind of having fun in there, making friends, going to meetings, not having to really worry about life outside. 
I later realized that this was because I had so much of the drug built up in my system that I was still intoxicated by Wednesday. When Wednesday night came is when the hell began. The best description I can think of is that it was like the benzos that I had been taking were like a flimsy wall that was blocking all of my anxiety, depression, and any other sorts of mental anguish that I should have experienced in that nine-year period. I had to keep taking more and more of the drug to keep that flimsy wall in place. When the drugs finally left my system, everything came flooding in. Everything. Life got really scary. I was scared of everything. People, doctors, food, darkness, being awake, being asleep. My vision was completely blurry. I was disassociated. I would have insane hallucinations. I lost all concept of time. Days felt like weeks. Weeks felt like months. I had insomnia, but the doctors were able to give me sleeping pills. When I was able to fall asleep, I would have extremely dark and vivid nightmares that I couldn't distinguish from reality. All I wanted to do was leave so that I could get some Xanax to get some relief. I have no memory of this, but my mother said that I would call her five to ten times a day begging her to come get me and bring me some pills. She did not oblige, thank God. This went on and on day after day. Finally, all of this began to alleviate slightly. I was at least able to form semi-coherent sentences to try and convince the doctor to let me out. There was a point where I decided I was in it for the long haul. There was no way out. The average stay at the detox center I was in was three days. I was there for 16. To be completely honest, the symptoms continued well throughout the time I was released. Afterwards, I went to stay at my dad's house. I literally could not handle life. My parents were taking care of me like I was a small child. The problem with this drug is that when you take it, it changes the structure of your brain, but not permanently. When your brain no longer has it, it begins to rebuild, but this can take a very long time and can be very painful physically and mentally. For me, it probably took about five months, but during that five months, it was upward trending, meaning that I felt the worst at the beginning and felt better and better as time went on. I was in a hospital setting for the first, most intense part, and when I was medically cleared, I was basically bedridden at home for the longer part. I was sort of able to describe the pain that I went through with detoxing from benzos, but I cannot begin to describe how I feel now being free of them. All I can say is that everything is clearer, better, easier. I took pencils for a third of my life and about two-thirds of my adult life. I have never known the person that I am now, but I am getting to know that person, and I really like him. I took a lot of time explaining how I got here, but now that I'm here, I don't feel the need to dwell on it anymore. There is almost an enlightened feeling to the way I am going about life now. Yes, there are still struggles and hardships, but nothing seems as bad as it once did. I have my health and mental clarity, which I thought would never be restored. The reason I went into so much detail about where I was is to illustrate a point. Even if you feel like you have done too much damage to ever be normal again, it is important to realize that the body wants to be healthy. It has an amazing ability to adjust to whatever it has to work with. 
Like I said before, I made so many bad decisions during my time on benzos, but I am so thankful that I was able to make the one good decision to get healthy. Thank you, Max. Resorting to street drugs, your experience with detox, and most of all, your new life on the other side. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. It, it is a type of enlightened feeling. And like you, my, my life is completely different now and, and better. I, I look forward to speaking with you further and learning more. Thanks again for sharing this with our listeners. Take care of yourself and we'll talk soon. And don't forget, we still need stories. You don't have to be a good writer or eloquent speaker. Just write your truth. All stories about benzos, Z-drugs, or other struggles are welcome here. Just go to our feedback forum at benzofree.org feedback to share your story or send an email to podcast at benzofree.org. And don't forget that you can also submit your story in your own voice. Instructions for this are on the feedback page. Thanks. And that brings us to our feature. Today, our feature topic is the head and neck symptoms of benzo withdrawal. This is part six in our continuing series on symptoms of benzo withdrawal. A few weeks ago, we covered cognitive dysfunction and memory loss in withdrawal. And today, we cross back over to physical symptoms. The symptoms of the head and neck we will discuss today include balance issues, dizziness, lightheadedness, vertigo, headaches, migraines, neck pain, slurred speech, and throat tightening. Like with all symptoms we cover in our podcast, these are just possible symptoms. No one gets all of them, not even close. Remember that only about 45% of long-term benzo patients will experience a difficult withdrawal period, so please don't expect the worst. Try and relax and accept the symptoms as they come, if they come and manage them the best you can. Let's take a look at each head and neck symptom individually. And let's start with balance issues. The cerebellum, which controls your motor stability and maintains equilibrium, is full of GABA receptors and is heavily affected by benzos. When damaged, it can affect your ability to maintain balance. This area of the brain can take a while to be fully restored. Exercises designed to help return equilibrium can aid in this recovery. Ashton discovers balance issues in the Ashton Manual, and she says, Excessive doses of benzodiazepines like alcohol causes unsteadiness of gait, slurred speech, and general incoordination, including inability to walk in a straight line. It may take some time for the cerebellar systems to restabilize their after benzodiazepine withdrawal, and the symptoms can last until this process is complete. One of the most pronounced dangers of benzo use are balance problems in the elderly. This is often the cause of hip fractures from falls. Old people fall and old people on benzos fall more often. In episode 15, I shared a 2016 study from the University of Eastern Finland, which evaluated about 70,000 people between 2005 and 2011. It found that benzodiazepines and related drugs increase the risk of hip fractures in patients both with and without Alzheimer's disease. In people with Alzheimer's disease, it increased the risk by 40%. In a study published in JAMA Internal Medicine in 2018, once prescribed, 
25% of elderly patients become dependent on benzodiazepines, even if the prescription was for short term. In that study, Dr. David Oslin stated the following. When a physician writes for 30 days of a benzodiazepine, the message to the patient is to take the medication daily and for a long time. This expectancy translates into chronic use, which in the long run translates into greater risks like falls, cognitive impairment, and worse sleep. Elderly people are more unstable than younger people. And when a drug negatively affects their ability to maintain balance, falls happen and bones break. This is really significant in the elderly because quite often a fall is the start of a downward spiral of the person's overall health, which leads to disability and even death. Now let's take a look at dizziness, lightheadedness, and vertigo. Along with anticholinergics and antihistamines, benzodiazepines are commonly used as vestibular suppressants and are often taken by people who suffer from motion sickness, motion sensitivity, and vertigo. But they can also cause these symptoms during use. And when the drugs are removed, your vestibular system reacts and dizziness and lightheadedness, again, can be frequent complications. I have suffered from frequent vertigo and lightheadedness during my 12 years on clonopin, but I always attributed that to an earlier inner ear issue. Allow me to explain. Years ago, before my experience with benzos, I had an inner ear infection from a cold. I got dizzy. So I took a scovolamine transdermal patch that I had for an upcoming trip to treat motion sickness. It helped, but anytime I tried to stop using the patch, I got violently sick. Room spinning, vomiting, all that fun stuff. Over a period of five months, I went to a variety of specialists who suggested everything from bizarre viruses to a brain tumor. Eventually, I saw the top otologist in the Kansas City area, which is where I was living at the time and he diagnosed me in 10 minutes. It appears I had inner ear damage from the cold virus, which is not uncommon, but that the scoplamine patch prevented my brain from adjusting to the injury, so I couldn't regain my equilibrium. Anyway, he told me to taper off the patch slowly, which I did, and I recovered. Unfortunately, it didn't end there. I, I would still get dizzy and had bouts of periodic vertigo. Not as consistent as before, but they were still there. When this happened, I would just have to stop everything, lie down, and wait for it to pass. This lasted for many years and started at the same time I began taking clonazepam. For over a decade, I attributed my ongoing vertigo to my inner ear damage, but I don't believe that was the cause anymore. When I read about vertigo, lightheadedness, and dizziness being possible symptoms of benzos during use, it made me reevaluate the cause. You see, my vertigo has nearly disappeared since I have withdrawn from benzos. Dizziness, lightheadedness, and vertigo may sound relatively benign to some, but that is until you experience them yourself at debilitating levels in a chronic state. I would trade my vertigo when it was severe for most any other symptom. The spinning, mind-boggling, nauseating feeling of 100% disorientation, it's not something I would recommend to anyone. Now let's take a look at headaches and migraines. Headaches are another common complaint during withdrawal and are often combined with pressure in the forehead and temples. 
Some complain that it feels like there is a tight band around their head. Migraines can also be triggered during this time. We all have headaches, and determining whether these are actually caused by benzos or withdrawal is difficult to tell. But many have noted that headaches have increased both in frequency and severity during benzo withdrawal. Migraines are another beast altogether. Here's a definition of migraines from the Mayo Clinic. A migraine can cause severe throbbing pain or a pulsing sensation, usually on just one side of the head. It's often accompanied by nausea, vomiting, and extreme sensitivity to light and sound. Now, this is just one type of migraine. There are others. And, and this pain can last for hours or even days. Migraines can be triggered by a variety of factors, including stress, sensory stimuli, allergies, food and drink, hormonal changes, and many others. I have experienced headaches on and off most of my life. Are, are these attributed to my experience with benzo withdrawal? I don't really know. But as for migraines, that's a different story for me. As far as I can recall, I have never experienced a migraine before withdrawal. My wife has them periodically and has shared the experience with me. Throbbing pain, extreme sensitivity, visual disturbances, not something I was eager to try. I was grateful that I did not suffer from migraines, but then... A couple of years ago, in the early stages of protracted withdrawal, something strange happened. You see, I returned to working on my book after lunch, and I was having some trouble with my vision. It was weird. I, I couldn't see the screen right in front of me. There were these crystalline, computer-like images floating in my view. I, I've had floaters in my vision before, like something on the surface of my eye, but this was completely different. I've never experienced this before. No matter what I tried to do, I couldn't read the words on the screen. I was tired because I'd been writing since five that morning, so I laid down for about ten minutes, but no change. In fact, when I closed my eyes, the images would not go away. I could see them against my eyelids. Then I remembered something about vision and migraines, and I decided to go outside and ask my wife about it. She said that my symptoms sounded like a migraine to her. She gave me a Pepsi and some ibuprofen, her home remedy, and told me to lay down in a dark, quiet room. I followed her instructions, and after about 40 minutes, it went away. I never had the extreme head pain that is common, but my wife said that sometimes a migraine can be just visual. That is the only one I've experienced so far, and I hope it stays that way. As with so many symptoms I have listed here, I can't say that withdrawal was the cause or partial cause of my migraine. It may have been just stress and lack of sleep. I'll probably never know. All I do know is that this had never happened to me before. Now let's take a look at neck pain. Neck pain often occurs in conjunction with headaches and sometimes chest pain. This is most likely due to muscle tightness in the entire upper torso area, which can be aggravated by stress and the reduction of benzodiazepines. You see, many benzos are excellent muscle relaxants. This can also be combined with damage to the nervous system, which means that your nerves may not be sending your muscles the proper messages. This can cause muscle tics, spasms, and even more frequently, chronic muscle tightness. 
So many people carry their stress in their neck and shoulders, which can cause this chronic tension. During benzo withdrawal, this tension is increased. Other factors for neck pain include prolonged straining in an awkward or unhealthy position, sleeping in an uncomfortable position, and excessive strain from working or exercise, arthritis, TMJ, whiplash, back problems, fibromyalgia, they can also be causes. Over the past few months, my posture at the desk has been terrible. I've also been under extra stress and pressure. When I went to my massage therapist a few weeks ago, she said I was incredibly locked up. She'd never seen me like this before. I have since remedied my posture at the desk, but I'm still dealing with the repercussions. My neck feels like a wooden plank right now. As I have mentioned on the podcast before, one of the blessings from five years of benzo withdrawal is that I don't overreact as much anymore. This is just another symptom to me now, and it probably will pass. I return for a massage this Thursday, and we're going to work more on the problem. You know, massage is actually an excellent therapy during withdrawal, but it can get expensive. Stretching is another amazingly beneficial activity during withdrawal, one of which most of us ignore far too often. Mild stretching helps your muscles and their associated nerves heal. Yoga is excellent for this, but regardless of what type of stretching you do, please don't push it too far. It's very easy to pull or tear a muscle in withdrawal. Listen to your body and don't push it too hard. Also, it's important to pay attention to your posture. We can do a lot of damage to our muscles over time if we are sitting, standing, or moving without taking into account the proper position of our head, neck, and torso. Muscle tightness in the neck can cause plenty of other symptoms in the other areas of the body. Pay attention to determine what the causes are. Now let's look at slurred speech. Dysarthria is a medical term for difficulty speaking, which is indicated by slow or slurred speech. It's often a result of neurological injury, which can include chemical damage from benzos. This can be exacerbated by alcohol and lack of sleep. Common causes of dysarthria include brain injury, tumor, stroke, head injury, Lyme disease, muscular sclerosis, muscular dystrophy, Parkinson's, and others. Slurred speech can be common both during benzo use and during withdrawal. Much like all symptoms, this one does ease over time. Alcohol, stress, and exhaustion can make the symptom worse. There have been many reported cases of people being arrested for DUIs or drunken misconduct who have later tested negative for any alcohol in their bloodstream. This has often later been attributed to benzodiazepine use. The combination of slurred speech, incoordination, and cognitive dysfunction can easily be mistaken as being drunk. Just like vertigo, I had several symptoms during tolerance which I attributed to other factors, since I was unaware of the issues with benzos at the time. One of these was slurred speech. About five or so years ago, I was quite involved in the film industry. I was on the advisory board of one film festival and taught screenwriting at several others. During most of these events, I got little sleep and drank more alcohol than usual. It was during these events that I noticed I would start to slur my speech, especially when I'd been drinking even just a little. If I slowed down my pace of speech, I could usually get my words out, but it was difficult at best. 
At the time, I attributed it to drinking alcohol and combined with lack of sleep. But the strange thing was, much like the migraines, I never had this problem before, even in college when my drinking was far more frequent. If I had researched the medication I was taking at that time, I would have discovered that this was a tolerance symptom of benzos. But I never investigated it. My slurring of speech has eased a bit, although I still experience it when I'm exhausted, even without any alcohol. I'm just really glad that I know the cause now. And the last one is throat tightening. In addition to difficulty swallowing, some people also feel like their throat is tightening or swollen. This is a common symptom of excessive anxiety, so it's no surprise that it also appears during withdrawal. Relaxation exercise can help ease the tension in the neck. Throat tightening often goes hand in hand with neck pain, although each one can be experienced independently. This tight feeling can cause swallowing issues too, but that also can be an independent symptom. This sensation is usually benign and goes away on its own. I experienced throat tightening very early on in my withdrawal. It was perhaps maybe the first symptom that I noticed. I could always breathe, but I would feel like there was this hand around my neck. It, it was more annoying than scary, but it really was annoying. And you just wanted it to go away. I, I still get it now and then, but rarely. And, and when it is, it's pretty mild now. Once I knew it was a common symptom of benzo withdrawal, I accepted it, and it wasn't really a serious factor anymore. Much like other muscle issues we've spoken about today, stretching out the area and massage can help alleviate some of the tightness. So, now we know that our head and necks can experience a wide variety of symptoms during benzo withdrawal, from balance issues to dizziness to muscle tightness and pain to slurred speech to even headaches and migraines. Some of these symptoms are mild, others severe. But like with all symptoms, they are usually temporary and will fade as you progress through your healing. If you are concerned that your symptoms might be a sign of something more severe, then please get it checked out. But if it's a symptom of withdrawal, try and accept it for what it is and know that it will pass in time. And that wraps up our feature. Thanks for listening. I hope it was informative and you found some of the information useful. Let's move on to our disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice in any way. The host of this podcast is not a medical professional, nor is he engaged in rendering medical health or psychological advice nor any other kind of personal professional services. The views and opinions expressed by our listeners and interview guests on this podcast, whether read from textual submissions or presented in their own voice, do not necessarily reflect those of the Benson Free Podcast or of its host. Withdrawal tapering or any other change in dosage of benzodiazepines, non-benzodiazepines, or any other prescription drugs should only be done under the direct supervision of a licensed physician. Our full disclaimer can be viewed on our website at benzofree.org slash disclaimer. And that brings us to our closing, our moment of peace. This is just one minute. It's an opportunity to quiet your mind a bit before you return to the chaos of the real world. The way this works is that I will give you a brief introduction, perhaps a suggestion of something to focus on. Then I will play a soft bell, which will indicate the start of one minute. This will be followed by another soft bell, which will indicate the end of the one minute. And that will be the end of the episode. Feel free to continue to meditate if you choose. If not, 
continue on with your day. Please remember that should you do this exercise, do so only if you are in a safe place. If you're any place where it is not safe to close your eyes and meditate, then please wait and do this later. Today we are going to return to the old standard breathing meditation. We will come back to this universal standard type of meditation every now and then because it is so core to the concept of centering yourself. Breathing is not only essential to life, but it is also a process of connection with the world around you. It's an exercise of giving and taking. You're receiving oxygen from the world and releasing carbon dioxide in return. So, as you breathe and focus on your breath, remember that this process makes you part of the world as a whole and that this process is connecting you to all of life. Let's get started. Close your eyes and relax. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second and let it out slowly. Let's do that again. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second and let it out slowly along with all the stress of the day. One more time. Take a deep breath in, hold it for a second, then let the breath out slowly, relaxing your entire body. Now just breathe slowly and naturally, and focus on your breath. There's no mantra here. Just direct your attention at the air moving in through your nose and into your lungs and back out again. If your mind wanders, just gently bring it back to your breath. No judgment. Continue to do this for one minute.
Our next episode is episode 21, and it will be released next Wednesday. Thank you again for joining me today, and please let me know how we did. Keep calm, taper slowly, and take care of yourself. I'll see you next time.